Good morning. Okay, um, this is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Amen. Well, let's pray as we jump in and focus our hearts and minds in time. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you settle our minds and hearts and help us focus on you this morning. Let's pray that you speak to us, you challenge us, and you show us who you are and who you long for us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen. So over the last little bit, we've looked at how God partners with his people, particularly in the Old Testament. We've looked at the picture of the church, how it's designed to work in partnership with God and, and with each other. And over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been challenged to prayerfully consider what work we're each called into that we can then get stuck into. So a prayerful start and then an action step. And so to frame that calling, to frame that, that work, that action, and to, to take the thought even further, over the next couple of weeks, uh, I want us to glean some inspiration from um, Michael Frost's book, Surprise the World. Now, if you're anything like me, which I kind of hope you're not, but if you're anything like me, when someone suggests a new Christian book, and then perhaps, perhaps especially when your church suggests a new Christian book that we're all going to read together, there's a degree of skepticism. Because every book speaks to people differently. You hear it differently. It, it provides a different need. One that I found helpful and inspiring, you might find kind of obvious and kind of flat. And you get that question, is it going to be deep enough for me? Whatever that means. And I do think it's right to have some caution, so I think that's good. I think you, you should approach these things with an open mind, ready to learn and grow and seek wisdom from other believers, but, but this is not the Bible. I am not preaching from this book this morning, but I would encourage you to read it as we walk in parallel with the ideas that this author presents over the next couple of weeks. If you don't have one, they are now or will be by the end of the service out on the book table. They weren't out ahead of time so that you didn't read it while we were speaking this morning. <laughs> See, I know. And many of you have it. We gave it out last week. Many of you have read it or read parts of it. And, and, and I've heard that, that many of you, at least, are very pleasantly surprised with, with the way it's written, the way it's framed of what a life for Jesus could practically look like, or perhaps maybe what it doesn't need to look like. And over the next few weeks, we'll unpack some of the ideas in the book and the concept of what he calls it, a Bell's strategy of missional living, which is around five actions. So in case you haven't read any of it yet, let me just give you a clue in of where we're going over the next few weeks that, that, that Jasmine and Master are going to lead us through. Um, so Bell's, which I have to make sure I'm saying right every time, bless, so living in, you can put that, thank you, living in, so a way, living in a way that seeks to meet the needs of others, that takes the heart of Jesus to people rather than just inviting them to come to us. 
you know, I've, I've mentioned the, a dream I've had of a ministry center in the city before, a physical place where this church could exist and minister that's, that's known, that's in the city, that's in the neighborhood, on the ground, both figuratively and, and literally. And as I say, Jasmine is working on some of that, that work of how do, we, how do we engage with community, which is in a different way than just, hey, come to my thing on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on the 11th floor of a secret building. And then uh, the second is eat, because there's power around the table. Much of Jesus' ministry was, was around meals, was based in, in meals, because that's where humanity gathers. We all eat, and hospitality is more powerful than we often give it credit for. Listen, we have to make time to listen to the Holy Spirit, to what God is saying to us, where he's leading us as you strive to be truly in the world, yet not of it. And then learning, making sure that you know the reason for the hope that you have, that you know the answer when someone asks, why? And a, you know, a clue, not to spoil the ending, but I mean, the answer is Jesus, but probably a little bit more than that. And then sin, how are you relating to the world around you? How are you revealing God's beauty in the world? So that's where we're heading over the next three, three weeks. But before we get into those practicalities, even if you've read further ahead, which I know many of you have, you're a few steps ahead, so just, just rein it in for a second. Um, Frost introduced this idea of, of evangelism bringing people into to, to knowledge and understanding of Jesus, but this, in, this misconception that we should all be evangelists. Now, if we don't all have the gift of evangelism or the gift of preaching and teaching in a formal setting, that might give you a little bit of relief, but it doesn't let you off the hook. We sort of live a life that honors God. It's just going to look a little bit different than perhaps we've been taught in the past. It will look different to how church is expressed. And if that's the case, then I think we need to keep our minds and our hearts in the idea of being and not just doing. Or maybe more specifically, how we are being while we are doing. So Colossians 4 verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm in chains. Pray that I'll proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, if most of us resonate with the second part of that passage rather than the picture of maybe proclaiming to the crowds, and we're more living wisely among the community, if we resonate with gracious and attractive conversation, then the opportunities we're praying for aren't as likely to be on stage with an attentive audience. So we should be prepared for the opportunities that we may have ahead. I was, um, I was a Boy Scout as, as growing up, and I think from the outside at least, it looks different in England than it does in America, but um, the motto is be prepared. And I used to take this very seriously, which won't surprise you. If that's the rule, that's what we're doing. So I used to carry a can opener, not a, not a Swiss Army knife, no, no, a can opener, um, and a screwdriver which, I don't know, uh, there was one time, this amazing moment when a screwdriver was needed and I, it was, the light shone and the angels sang and it was amazing. Um, and as a dad, I can tell you the, the one thing I've learned about being prepared for any situation is actually, the question is really about how much are you willing to carry to be prepared? 
how heavy a burden are you willing to take on to be ready for any situation should it arise? And I think that's probably the same here. All through the Bible, there's a theme of being prepared in order for God to use you, to partner with you. Jesus tells a number of stories about it, and one is in Luke 12. He talks about the importance of being ready for when he returns. So it's 12.35, and he says, Be dressed for service. Keep your lamps burning, as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. Be dressed for service, well prepared, be ready. So how do we do that? How do we get ready for God to use us in ways we've never imagined before? How do we be well prepared for the rewards of God? How do we get dressed in order to be all that I was created to be? And I think it all starts, as most things often do, I think it all starts with the heart. Because I think it's about a motivation. If my motivation is wrong, everything that follows is going to be wrong too. We don't want a motivation out of guilt or church expectation or routine or human strategy, but from a place of gratitude and love for the Lord. So the first thing God wants us to do is to purify our hearts, to set our purpose and motivation in place, to start anew. If we don't set the right course, then the steps in this book will help us become a good citizen and a good neighbor, which are all good things. But doing it for the Lord is different and it's deeper. Um, Augustine was an abbot of an influential order of monks in the year 600, which I had a quote from a Benedictine monk last week, so I don't know what's happening right now. But anyway, as we're, in, we're, in, we're in that world. Um, and he was recorded to have said, the confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. The confession of bad is the beginning of good. And that's not a far leap from what we know from our own experience. Like we don't have to think too far, too, I don't have to imagine too much to, to, to understand that. To start something new, we must break away from the bad. In Job 11, if only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you, then, and here's the promise, then your face will brighten in innocence. You'll be strong, free of fear. You'll forget your misery. It'll all be gone like water flowing away. It starts, he says, by preparing your heart, by cleansing yourself of sin. And then before the Israelites go into the promised land, Joshua tells the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow, tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. And God's going to do some great wonders. But first we have to purify our hearts, purify yourself through confession, admitting to God where you fall short. A promise in 1 John, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us from all wickedness. And all I have to do, all we have to do, admit, own up to it. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You're God. I am not. And God says that his part is to forgive us, to purify us from wrongdoing. So the starting point for God's blessing, to partner with him, if you want to be used for the purpose he's created you for, is to purify your heart and align with his. Second Timothy, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use, a special utensil. 
Your life will be clean. You'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So if you're serious about partnering with God, then maybe this week you need to take an hour or so to yourself and be quiet and alone. Just be with God and sit down and say, hey, what is it between me and you that I need to lay down to confess maybe? Maybe you need to write it down. And then along with that heart work, that realignment work, that intentionality, I think we need to dedicate your presence. Now, as I, I wrote this message, as I was trying to piece it together, I really struggled to find the right sentence, the right phrase here. And I think the word presence kind of gets close to the mark. To dedicate or sanctify my very presence, everything I bring to an interaction, everything I bring to a situation, my whole self, what I project, what I absorb, my attentiveness, my engagement, what I hold back, what I say without thinking, how I recover from that, all of that dedicated for his purpose. I mean, you can, you can sanctify, you can dedicate just anything. You can dedicate a marriage. We dedicate this marriage to you. You can sanctify a job. I dedicate my job to you, a house. I dedicate this house to you, God. You can sanctify, dedicate a relationship, an item, a period of time. Anytime you dedicate something for God's purpose, you make a decision to change the way that you approach it, change the way you use it, change the way you allow him to use it. Romans 6, do not let any part of your body be an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body, your whole self, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I think this is really important because it sounds deep and spiritual to say, purify my heart, Lord. It sounds holy and good and poetic, and it makes for good song lyrics. And it is holy, and it is good. But it's so easy to smugly agree to the deep and spiritual sounding phrases. It's easy to feel good about a deep thought and truth, and then move on to brush past the yeah, 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 confession. Yeah, 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 I yeah, get it, I get it. Because it's, it's reflective, and it's inward, and it's unseen. But presence includes our physical selves. Presence is physical, it's outward. If we don't make intentional steps and decisions, all our intention will stay inward and it will stay unseen. And we don't actually change the way we act, the way we are with friends, with our spouse, with your church, with your colleagues. And as I, as I was writing this message, I was challenged with this idea of, you know, it's, it's kind of an introduction to what we're going to talk about. You know, how, how does this piece together? And am I just circling the issue? Am I just circling around the topic? Is that, am I just talking around the challenge? And should we just get stuck in with this, this, this bell strategy? So start challenging a blessing and eating with others or whatever. And as I prayed and looked deeper into what God wants to partner with, I believe that this actually is not surface work. This is foundation work. And in many ways, this is the work. This is what it means to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. To live with Christ as the Lord of your life, ready to explain that hope, First Peter. For some of you, the work you need to do is cleaving some stuff from your heart. Stuff from your past or present. 
And that stuff may not have been your choice, and that stuff may not have been your doing. You may have suffered unfair or unjust situations. You may have been treated poorly or disrespectfully. You may be unappreciated. You may have had a childhood that no one deserves. And unfortunately, and I, I know there's a lot of weight in that word, but unfortunately, you are left with the work to do so that your heart can be ready and you can dedicate your full presence to living for Jesus. And we want to partner with you in that work because we all have different stories. And so if we all have different stories to now, our onward story will look different too. Some of us are ready to ask for more, to pray for new opportunities. And others need to stay in the heart place to continue to identify what prevents us from being fully present. Psalms 127 says, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. Not right now, but the church is a partnership, and what we, need, what we each need and, and can each give in any given season is going to ebb and flow, and so it should because we're partners. So be careful to honor your time. You can have your heart right, or at least be on a good trajectory for, so, for, for, for that. You can be committed to being present for God, for sanctifying your future interactions, but you still won't have time to do everything. The good news is that God doesn't expect you to do everything. In fact, he doesn't want you to do everything. If he did, he would have gifted you in everything. And as much as we think we might be, I hate to break it to you, but you are actually not the gifted expert in everything. You are not gifted in everything. There are areas of life and of ministry where it's, just, it's, it's not just okay to step aside. You need to step aside. Don't stress about being the evangelist if that's not your gifting. You're wasting your time. You're burning your energy and you're missing the purpose God has specifically for you. And I know this is, this is in some ways countercultural, more so in some generations maybe than others, to yield to the collaborative, to allow others to step in, to discern what it, what it is that God is calling you, specifically you, into. Because it takes vulnerability and you have to face insecurity and you have to offer trust and you have to depend on others. And that can be hard. I like to read um, historical fiction, and Bernard Cornwell is a favorite. Um, a lot of his books are set in, in a sort of fictional medieval England. So we're talking you know, Arthur Pendragon and, and the Knights of the Round Table and Druids and Saxon battles and that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I was preparing this message. I had this picture of, of a battle from one of his books where an army is fighting back the enemy. And in that life and death situation, you play to everyone's strengths. You don't put an archer in the front line. It would be disastrous. It'd be a waste of time and money and resources. You let the archer stay back, sending this volley of arrows over the heads of everyone else. Not everyone can be on the front line. Not everyone should be in the shield wall. In fact, you wouldn't even have the same people on the front line throughout the entire battle because it's too exhausting. You want to bring fresh folk in. You have the protection from the cavalry, those with other equipment. To, to protect you. You switch out. You share the load. You don't have time to do everything, especially as you approach the enemy line. See, God has a plan for your life. So does everyone else. Their plan is not as good, regardless of who they are, 
regardless of how much they love you and how much they care about you, how much they know you, you were created for God's plan. And the plan other people have for you often counteracts or interferes with his plan for your life. In Titus um, chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to say no, which is good. So we can stay focused on what God wants us to do rather than what everyone else wants us to do. Ephesians 5 says, make the most of every opportunity. And we do that by maintaining focus and maybe by pruning as a, as a kid, we, I grew up, we always um, grew vegetables and, and plants and stuff. And actually, when Shane and I lived in Washington State, we had a pretty extensive garden too. And, and it's one of the things we still do when we visit the UK. We're, we're planting stuff and harvesting and all the things. And I really enjoy it. I, I like the figuring out timings and, and seasons and the needs of different plants and how to, how to chip potatoes or force rhubarb or, or whatever it is. And I, I like the, the satisfaction of growing stuff from seed. Like, I, I just find that fascinating. One of the things among many that I love to grow from seed is carrots, because honestly, it's just, it's easy. And they germinate easy, and you know what? Everyone needs easy wins sometimes, so it's fine. And you, you can, the way we would do it, is you carve a, a groove, a shallow groove in the earth, sprinkle the seeds along the groove, and let them do their thing. Pretty easy. Eventually, you get the shoots. They grow up, you know? And when they get to a certain height, you've got to go through that line and thin them out. You may have to do it again, actually, as they grow, but you pull out the plants that are too close together in order to maximize the resources available to allow the fruit to grow. If you don't, if you don't do that, the whole crop is weakened and the entire yield will be less. And it's actually kind of hard to do, not physically, it's physically very easy, but because you think, oh, the more carrots I plant, then the more carrots I'll have. But more often than not, the more carrots you plant in a row, the smaller, the more underdeveloped carrots you'll have. And we need to do the work of thinning out, of pruning, of focusing on the things God has for us so we don't spread our resources too thin into areas or opportunities that, that, that may, be, may be good. They may be great. Carrots are great. But they can drain the fruit that we could bear if we were focusing on what God has for us. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Luke, he's recorded to say, anyone who, put a hand, who puts a hand to the plow but then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And what he's talking about is this idea of being distracted. Sort of, I'm doing this work, but I'm actually thinking about this, and I, I'm not really focused on the work at hand. I'm half-heartedly doing the work that God has prepared for me to do. So what distracts you from filling, fulfilling your life mission? Some of you, I've already mentioned, some of you, the biggest distraction, the biggest drain is, is your past, is, is your foundation, some of the stuff that your life is built on. So back to carrots. So I grew up in an area that had a very heavy clay soil. And in, in Washington, uh, the soil is, is much looser and it's, it's more stony. Very different environment. Both situations, both areas, desperate need of carrots. Desperately. In the UK, in that area, we had to lighten the soil so that it will drain and provide loose enough soil for root vegetables to grow, like you kind of imagine that. A raised bed is kind of helpful for this. Um, in Washington, the soil can be too loose, which means all the water, the nutrients, is just going to drain right through it, and there's stones in there, you've got to get them out, otherwise the root can't go through, all that kind of stuff. So you might want to add a liquid feed, or you might want to feed the soil each year, till in some manure maybe. We had chickens, so we had a lot of chicken manure. 
um, so that was easy to come by, but you work the soil to ensure the environment is ideal for growth so that you can get a good future harvest. So prepare yourself to be ready for the work ahead is important for the future kingdom harvest. Now, maybe it is challenging to relate to a carrot, so let me give you another example. Um, I have three kids. They're all different, but we have a whole routine of getting out of the door on a school day because the goal is to get to school. That's the goal. That's what we have to do. The non-negotiable, the work, is to leave at a certain time and walk there. The goal is to get to school. The work is to walk there. But there's lots of things we have to do before we can get to that non-negotiable work of walking to school. If we back it up a little bit, at 7.30 in the morning, a song plays. It's a different song every day, depending on the day of the week. And they know that means put shoes on, brush teeth, we're heading out the door. We're not going to school at that point, we're just, we're just doing it. We don't talk about school at that point, we just, we just, we just do it. Backing it up again, 7.15, another song plays. It's the same song every day, and that indicates the girls have to brush their hair. At 7.10, backing up again, a different song plays again. Same song every day, but a different song to the others, and that in indicates the need to get dressed. Prior to that, each of the kids needs something else, needs something slightly different, some different kind of groundwork to be ready for that to happen. It might be breakfast, it might be comfort, it might be stability, it might be care in the transition, it might actually be an art project or an emotional expression. If we dove right in, it would fail. And you know this from your own routine, your own experience. If you overslept, if you miss your alarm, and you miss your morning ritual, the day is off, the day is done, the mission needs a boarding, let's just go back to bed, this is not gonna work. Now I know, I'm, I realize I'm laboring the point, but the prep work is so important. It's so important. And if you are currently in a season of preparing ground, then do it with all you have. If you're in a season of sowing seeds and discerning God's will, then do that with all you have. If you're in a season of overwhelming busyness, then maybe start pruning, start thinning out a little so that you're ready for the opportunities for harvest. Because so often, when you go to harvest carrots, I'm really into carrots this week, so we're going to keep going. So when you harvest carrots, they look really promising. Like they have the big green tops. It's very Bugs Bunny. It's picturesque. It's amazing. The top looks good. You can see the orange poking out from the ground. You pull it up, and assuming the soil allows you to, you pull it up, and the smallest carrot comes up. It's great greenery, and then a tiny little carrot. There's no depth because the soil wasn't prepared properly, the plant didn't have enough time in the sun, it needed more time in the ground, it needed more space, it needed more groundwork. We rush God's timing often for a quick reward and we miss out on a much bigger harvest that he had in store. So purify your heart, dedicate your presence, honor your time, and to really make the most of the opportunities that God has in store, grow in passion for him. Because God uses people who are passionate for him, who are all in to the partnership, who are sold out. At retreat, if you were there, we talked about Jacob in the Old Testament wrestling with God, this, this metaphor of the, of the struggle we have with God and the struggles that we, we have with him. And as he wrestles with God, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Have you ever said that to God? If you ever said, God, I'm not leaving here 
I'm not going to stop praying until you bless me. I have, I have to have your blessing on my life. I have to have it. I've got to know your purpose in my life. I've got to be the person that you want me to be. I've got to fulfill the life that you created me to fulfill. And I won't stop until I get it. Jesus says in Matthew, let your good deeds shine out for all the seas that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your purpose, let your passion be so intense that you shine. In Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all, not just some, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we close, God's definition of success is very different from the world's. Jesus says this in John. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And that's it. You bring glory to God by fulfilling his purpose, by doing the work, by partnering in the kingdom mission that God has given you to do. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to purify our hearts, to align us with you. Show us the mission, the work, the plan, the purpose you have for each and every one of us. Show us where to focus. Show us where to prune. Show us what work needs to be done. Help us lay down the distractions. Help us lay down ourselves. So we can be fully present, fully engaged in the work of the kingdom. Amen.